The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. Jesus said, I came to earth to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us in this room, however we find ourselves right now. Anxious, exhausted, exhilarated, joyful, sad, grieving. Help us to know and to believe right now that you see all of it. You see us in all of our contradiction and all of our complexity, and all of our beauty, and all of our fragmentation, and your response is always to move towards us, to heal, to renew, to restore. And help us to believe that we are here right now because you've seen to it. You have something you want us to hear, to trust, and so give us courage, give us open hearts, give us receptivity, to what you have for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, be honest. Did you say thanks be to God at the end of that scripture reading? Come on. You can be, you can be honest here. What was Fred thinking? Picking that chapter and verse? I mean, there's a lot of Bible to choose from, and I chose that. What on earth? That's a tough one, huh? Challenging words today. And it's challenging because Jesus' form of peacemaking is about to get real. It's about to get real. I mean, friends, we we're, in the, we're in this season of Epiphany, and this is the last Sunday of Epiphany. And next week, we'll, we'll uh, look at the Transfiguration, and then it's, then it's Lent. Then it's a journey to Jerusalem and the cross. Things will slow down a little bit, and it's going to get rough. We might say that Epiphany is kind of a, a bit of a, home, a honeymoon season for Jesus. 
Um, I know there were difficulties in those first years of his ministry, back and forth with folks, but it's about to get much more difficult. So this is exactly the kind of thing I think we should be looking at today, because this is a hinge point as we kind of mark our time by the life and ministry of Jesus. And what we're going to find out today, and it's pretty obvious from that text, is that Jesus was experienced as a number of things we looked at in this series, teacher, friend, uh, way, um, Lord, Savior. But today we're going to talk about how Jesus was experienced and how we must experience as well Jesus as disruptor for our own and for the world's liberation. And so let's jump right in. The first thing I want to point out is, you're going to love this, Jesus was stressed. Now just think about that for a second. It's easy to gloss over that. But Jesus says, the stress I am feeling, forever taking away the shame of feeling stressed because God knows we've experienced enough stress in the last few years. Hello. Jesus was stressed. How refreshing is that? Now, why was Jesus stressed? Jesus was stressed because he's always going against the status quo. Always going against the status quo. Because Jesus in his ministry exposed things. He exposed things. Because there is a peace, obviously, you saw what he said. There is a peace, not that he's standing over there, but you know the scripture. There is a peace that he opposes. A false peace. A peace that leaves the oppressive status quo that, in place. That lifts up one group of people while trouncing on another. So Jesus, he opposed that, and it got him in a lot of trouble. He opposed empire and its values of, of violence and acquisition and degradation. And, and, and uh, yeah, he, he exposed hypocrites. You, you heard him say that in that passage. Hypocrites who used religion for political gain. He identified himself with the least and the lost. And this created a ton of stress. Is stress. I was having a conversation a couple years ago with a black friend of mine, and she said this to me. She said, Fred, it's exhausting to be black in America. She said, it's exhausting to do the labor for white people who don't see their complicity or how they run over me while they're trying to help me, how they center their voice when we need ours centered, when they repeat all lives matter when ours clearly don't. See, the strategy of oppression is exhaustion. Exhaustion. Jesus says, I came to bring fire. But what kind of fire? A refining fire. A fire that breaks down and purifies for healing. A fire for some it is relief and for others it is a necessary pain. When I was in junior high, I played football for the Crystal Lake Junior High Mustangs. I've always liked that. Mustangs. And we were good. We were undefeated. And the county championship was around the corner. And I had developed under my armpit, isn't that fun for me to talk about armpits today? Uh, what's called a dermal polyp. That's what they think. I think that's what it's called. Susan, you can correct me later if that's not the right thing. And, uh, and it became inflamed, and it was swollen, and it was angry, and I could not wear my shoulder pads because a strap would hit it. And so my mom and dad took me to a man named Edgar Watson. Dr. Edgar. He was probably about 75 years old at the time. 
He was kind of the family doctor of sorts. He kind of had to talk like this, and he never got in a big hurry. And he said to me, okay, Freddie, looks like we're going to have to do something about it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to cut it off, and then I'm going to cauterize it. Now, if your doctor says to you the word cauterize, I'm sorry. I'm sorry in advance. I can still smell the, f- the smell of flesh burning in Dr. Edgar's office. It was painful. And he said to me at the end of it, he said, I, I know it's painful, but look, it- it's healed up. True. Maybe there's a better way to go about that with not quite as much pain, but it did heal up. Look, this is the whole point. Jesus knows he has a baptism ahead of him. A baptism, his own baptism of fire of sorts. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to crucifixion. He's headed to the cross. And he knows what empire does with people who disrupt. They put them on crosses. They silence them. They crucify them. To those who speak words of fire, this is what happens. And the mob will be loud, and the anxiety will rise as it always does in the midst of a mob. And he will be scapegoated to make that anxiety go down. And that's just a temporary false peace, of course, but that's what will happen to him. Jesus brings a healing fire to some and an anxious fire to others, but a liberating fire to everyone, if we will trust it. I know, I know we are all stressed. I know that as a community, we're tired. But friends, oppression does not take a break just because there's a pandemic. White supremacy, nationalism, sexism, homophobia, none of that takes a break because there's a pandemic. They don't just go away. As my teacher and mentor in many ways, Christina Cleveland says, white supremacy is always doing push-ups in the basement. Therefore, in keeping with our commitment to be a Jesus-centered church, and that is what this is about, this is the flow out of our commitment to following Jesus, we must do the work of anti-racism. We must give ourselves to that, to stand with marginalized communities. The work of disruption, and let me tell you, when you do that, like Jesus, it's going to be stressful. But the work of disruption of cherished narratives that make us feel good but do not liberate us, well, that's stressful. But as old Edgar Watson said, it's painful. But it's healed up. Or at least we can move towards it. Now, the point being, secondly, is that Jesus simply refuses steadfastly to follow and abide by the status quo. I mean, look at what Jesus said. I didn't come to bring peace, but what? Division. What? This is just a version of mean Jesus I don't want. These are startling words here. What is he talking about? Prince of peace much? Let's go back to that theme, can we? The thing is, is that Jesus is only about a real, authentic, deeper peace. He will not abide a peace that ignores injustice. This word peace, according to one New Testament scholar, says is, is, uh, could also be called you know, calm or order or status quo. So Jesus opposes that kind of peace. 
And it opens himself up to slander. It opens himself up to critique. It opens himself up to violence. It obviously opens himself up to death. But Jesus says, this is the path I'm on and the path I invite you to follow me on. You know, I was thinking about, I was listening to this John Lewis book. And if you haven't read the John Lewis book, his truth marches on. I cannot, I can't recommend it enough. But it talked again, it's about a, a well-known quote from Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in the Birmingham jail. Because in the civil rights, you know, they had a word for people like Jesus. And the word they used back in the 60s was agitators. These agitators. This is exactly what Jesus was. He was an agitator. And what's most frustrating of all for agitators like Jesus, is a lukewarm or sleepy approval of what he is saying without the necessary urgency to meet the moment. Drove King crazy. He talks about it in his letter from the Birmingham jail. He said, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Hmm, that's a word. Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote a book called Between the World and Me, another book I totally recommend for you. And in that book, he writes a series of gut-wrenching letters to his son about what it is like to be black in America. And at one point, he says in that, in that uh, book, you have to make peace with chaos, but you cannot lie. You cannot forget how much they took from us and how they transfigured our very bodies into sugar, tobacco, cotton, and gold. Mm. What is the peace of Christ? The peace we pass each week. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. What is it? It's not a false peace. It's not a shallow peace. It's Jesus' invitation to live into an authentic and real peace that does not lie, as Coates said, that names the chaos for what it is, and that includes the hard work of doing justice. It's not a peace that bans books. It's not a peace that tries to ignore our history. Because that kind of peace will never bring actual healing. It's a peace that sees it and names it as painful as it can be so that we can heal and be liberated. You know, I've talked a lot about this in terms of kind of systemic and structural sin. But let's apply it also personally. There's nothing wrong with that. 
What are some of the forms of false peace that you're abiding with right now in your own life? In what areas of your life are you settling for a false peace in your marriage? With your closest friendships? With your career? With your work relationships? In your family system? What ways has a false peace, what ways was a false peace in your family system a way to cover over dysfunction? or even abuse. Keeping the peace, something we always had to do in our family. Is that your story? As a pastor of 31 years, I can tell you that when I ask someone to do the work of dismantling their own false peace, the false pieces that they've made peace with in their life. It's one of the hardest things that I ever ask a person to do, but it's also the path of liberation. It's the path to be free, to be a student of your own personal history because you the real you is worth knowing and doing that work is the work of liberation but and here's the third point not everybody's down for that (laughs) Not everybody in this room, maybe, is down for what I've been preaching this morning. I don't know. Not everybody is down with Jesus' notion of real peace. It's too uncomfortable. But to quote Kelly Brown Douglas from yesterday's amazing seminar that I attended online, that some of you also attended in our Three Friendships curriculum, Jesus did not come. The good news of Jesus is not just to make us feel more comfortable or make us feel better, but to be better. To be transformed. Transformation and being uncomfortable go together. Go together. You might find yourself... Let me tell you, if you you take what I'm saying to heart, you likely will find yourself on an island in your own family system. Jesus sure did. (laughs) I mean, his family thought he was having a psychiatric break. I mean, to imagine Jesus as the unimagined solution to a world gone wrong and not as a chaplain to our favorite versions of status quo is very hard to do, but liberating. That's a better way to say that, a more challenging way to say that. Is Jesus a chaplain to your favorite versions of the status quo? That's a hard question to ask. I'll answer the question for me personally. Yes. (laughs) And I have a life to try to repent of it.
I mean, goodness gracious, you saw what was read up there just a moment again, moment ago. Jesus is telling us there's going to be some short-term fallout if we really give ourselves to his notion of peace. He talked about it in terms of family, in terms of generations, and older and younger generations. Father against son, against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Some people right now are saying, oh, I get the whole in-law part. I'm down for that. For the record, I love my mother-in-law. Let's just put it out there, okay? But yeah, that is the truth. Here's the thing, the status quo basically will not address systemic sin. It'll be happy to address personal failings. It'll be happy to address your misgivings, your lying or your cheating or your, you know, out of control temper or whatever. Oh yeah, we can talk about those things all day. Status quo is happy with that. And those things need to be addressed, don't get me wrong. But what got Jesus put on the cross wasn't because he told people to stop lying to each other. It was because he opposed structural and systemic oppression. He didn't exactly die of natural causes, (laughs) y'all. He was lynched. State-sponsored, religiously endorsed murder. Because he had a notion of peace that he never let go of. Jesus knew you can't bring peace without justice. You have to stir things up before people will wake up. And not everybody's here for that. But it's good. Rachel Held Evans put it this way, the late Rachel Held Evans, God bless her soul. If Christianity must die, may it die to the old way of dominance and control and be resurrected to the way of Jesus, the way of the cross. Amen. Now, so I'm landing the plane here. Someone says, okay, I'm fine with this, Fred. I get you. I'm down for it. But let's go slow. I'm down for this, but let's, listen, let's make sure We have unity. Now listen, I think Jesus loved unity. Don't get me wrong. He loved for us to be unified because if we're going to really follow him, we're going to have to be together. It's unity for the sake of following Jesus and his way. That's it. I know he loved unity, but not at the expense of the well-being of others. Not at the expense of of the trouncing of the image of God. Here's the thing. There's a difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Think about that for a second. I got a pastor friend named Zach Lambert who I've recently met because a couple of city church folks have moved to Austin and now go to his church. Great church, great guy. And he said something recently about peacekeeping and peacemaking that was fascinating to me. He said, peacekeeping is about the status quo. Peacemaking is about being change agents in the world. Peacekeeping is about constantly worrying about compromise. Peacemaking is about, no, we have to talk out loud about oppression. Peacekeeping is obsessed with both sides-ism. Good people on both sides. Moving to the center, 
Peacemaking is about standing for truth, justice, and equality no matter the cost. Let me quote him now. If I didn't confuse you there, Jason, I hope I didn't. Zach Lambert said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Did you know this is the only beatitude that comes with an identity statement? Of all the characteristics Jesus describes in Matthew 5, peacemaker is the only one listed with an identity instead of a reward. Instead of being blessed, comforted, or shown mercy, it says that peacemakers will be called children of God. This means we are never more like God than when we are peacemaking. We are never more like God than when we are fighting for justice. We are never more like God than when we are bringing shalom, abundant goodness into every broken relationship and system in our world. There is a temptation to be peacekeepers right now, to not rock the boat or challenge the status quo, but that is not the way of Jesus. It is time for Christians to take a stand on the side of justice for all people and be the peacemakers Jesus calls us to be. This is not easy. I had a congregant a few years ago who was leaving our church. And they said, you know, life is hard during the week. I need church to be like a spa. I know. And in that moment, I don't know if you're, if, I always think of a better way to respond later, you know. In the moment I said, I'm so sorry. And I, I, I mentioned it to somebody on our staff, and they said, maybe you should have said, then I'm, I'm worried that you don't want a church that's following Jesus. That's kind of harsh, maybe, but it's true. I want a spa. Look, it's hard work. But I want you to know, in the realm of God, what Jesus is bringing about, escapism is not allowed. Rest is encouraged. Long naps, boundaries, making sure that you don't burn yourself out. It's absolutely rhythm, balance. Holy moly, very important. But escapism? No. No. You know, most people, maybe some people in this room don't know this, but we're in the process right now of, of actually finding my successor, a new senior pastor. And uh, I'm not going anywhere on the front end. I'll be here for a couple of years at least, or maybe longer. We'll see what happens. So I'll be around. You'll have to put up with me to, in one degree or another. <laughs> but it has me thinking. And one of the things is, what are some of the regrets that I have? And one of those regrets would definitely be that I wish I had gotten us as a community further down the line on what I'm talking about in this sermon today. But as an old friend used to say to me, it's never too, right, never too, never too late to do the right thing. I wonder, City Church, where we will be as a community. What will we say about ourselves in five years or in ten years? Will it be that we met this moment, not perfectly, stumbling and bumbling, but will it be that we lived into, into this struggle for a real peace, the peace of Christ founded on the life, the teaching, 
the death and the resurrection of Jesus, vindicating everything that he taught us. About a real peace where everything, as old Dr. Edgar said, is healed up. So this is what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to end with a sermon. Excuse me, we've already had a sermon. A prayer today. Some of you would say, yeah, one that's gone too long. Um, and it's a fourfold San Franciscan blessing. And actually, Francis. A fourfold Franciscan blessing from Sister Ruth Marlene Fox, a Benedictine nun. I'd like for us to say this together as a way of ending our time. Together. May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed with those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish, so that they may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can really make a difference in this world, so that you are able, with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask today, that you would empower this community with wisdom and courage and love. The love of God we find in Jesus Christ. We have a long way to go, Lord. Fred Harrell certainly has a whole long way to go. So give us grace, we pray, to keep looking to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to run the race with endurance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.